Let's say a prayer. Our Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace upon our lives. We thank you for gathering us together here once again in your presence. Father, we say may you be glorified, may you be lifted up in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to listen to your word again today. Father, we pray that you teach us by yourself in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that you cause us to learn directly from you what we need for our lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Welcome to another Bible study. Today, we're going to be continuing uh, on our topic, Spiritual Warfare, which we started a couple of months ago now. We're on part four. I just want to give a quick recap of part one and part two before I speak about part three and four. So in part one, we established the existence of two kingdoms and two wills. We looked at the story that we have in scripture when Jesus healed the man who was mute and deaf. And we looked at how Jesus was accused of um, healing through the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus responded by saying, can a kingdom um, stand against itself? That a kingdom that is divided against itself cannot stand. And he talked about clearly expressing to us the existence of two kingdoms. Expressing to us the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. And we looked at other examples of scripture, particularly our root scripture, which we find in Ephesians chapter 6, from verse 1. And when we read down, we see where Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness in high places. And Paul also just like Jesus Christ was able to express to us the existence of what? Of another kingdom. So that's what we spoke about on the first day, emphasizing that there are two kingdoms that have two different set of wills. And the kingdom of God has its own will and its own agenda. And the kingdom of the devil has its own will and its own agenda. And we talked about how both kingdoms that have different agendas are very against each other. The agenda of the kingdom of God is not the agenda of the kingdom of the devil. And the agenda of the kingdom of the devil is against the agenda of the kingdom of God. And that's why the topic for that day was the dividing line. Right? And the second subject we talked about is the battle of the mind. And we mentioned that the battle of spiritual warfare is fought primarily in the minds of men. And one of the things we talked about was we tried to, and we successfully actually debunked the notion that thinking or speaking about spiritual warfare is limited to those people who say their modern law is against them, or their parents are against them, or there's one witch between them in the village. There's a lot of misconception in the church about what we are talking about when we are talking about warring in the spirit. And we said, no, 
that spiritual warfare is primarily about man because the nature of determines what happens in the ruler's territory. And, we, and I asked the question that day, I was like, if God was not in heaven, would you still want to go there? And one of the, one of the things that I said was my personal answer is no, because if God is not in heaven, heaven will not be heaven. Heaven would be wherever God is, because what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God there. God is the one that defines what heaven is, because he created it and he is ruling over it. And we talked about for every nation, when there is a new presidency or there is a new government, there will be policy changes. There will be things that will change about the way that country or that nation is run. And the reason why is because rulership usually determines territory. And in the same vein, if God created Adam or man to rule the earth, what that means is that whatever man's allegiances are, whoever man is aligned to at every point in time, would usually determine the state of the earth. So because Adam fell and man fell, corruption just come to Adam. Corruption also came to the world as a result of that fall because man determines what happens on the earth. And for that reason, when we look at where the battlefield really, the battlefield is in the mind of man. And Paul talked about it when he talked about taking every thought that arises or raises itself up against the knowledge of God into captivity and bringing men to the obedience of God. That is what Paul defined as essentially the work of the Christian. To make sure that through the power of God, we are able to get as many people to align with God again. And that is war. That is what spiritual warfare is. That is what translates to any other thing called spiritual warfare today. And after that, we ended up starting to speak about the armor of God last two weeks. And the first thing we talked about was the girdle of truth, which is the belt of truth. And I explained using the picture of the Roman legionnaire, because Paul was using the picture of the Roman legionnaire. And the Roman legionary was the most powerful and most organized and well-known army of the world in that time. So obviously, when Paul was writing to the church, particularly because it was an efficient church, a Gentile church, they knew exactly what he was talking about when he was speaking about these soldiers. And I said that usually back then, you would find that these Romans used to wear free-flowing clothing. Whether you're male or female, you usually find that they wear free-flowing clothing that flows from the top to like their knee length. What determines the difference between this clothing is usually the status of the person in society. So those with a higher status will probably wear a different material and a different color. Those of a lower status will wear a different material and a different color. But essentially, it was the same style. But for the soldiers who wore this material as tunics, when they had to go to war, the first thing they had to do was to prevent these clothes from flapping about because they were free-flowing. And what they did was to put on the belt. The belt had extensions in front that would basically hold the bottom in place and also hold the top in place when the breastplate was worn. And we said that represents truth. And we said this truth that we are speaking about here 
is not actually the truth of the word of God. Because previously, before this point, Paul had talked about men speaking truth and being honest with one another, honest with your fellow man, and honesty before God. And that is what this truth here represents. After that, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, said that the breastplate of righteousness has personal righteousness, stands before God, how God has made us righteous through and love faith in that we believe in him and because we believe in him we're now partakers of his righteousness love in that christ loved us enough to pay price for that righteousness and we talked about why it's important for us to always remember it and how the devil will always want to accuse men especially believers when it comes to the point of what righteousness then the last thing we talked about was feed being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we said that on that point, it's not just about the gospel of peace, but it's also about preparation. And we said those two are equally important. We talked about the Roman legionaries as well. And we talked about the fact that a lot of times these people usually went to bed with their sandals on, with their boots on, because they do not know when the enemy will strike. And if the enemy should come at night, the time you spend lacing up your boots, you probably will already be dead or under attack. So they made sure that they slept with it. They were always ready for the fight. And we said what this means for the believer is that the believer should, number one, always be ready to go where God sends them to decimate the gospel of peace. But number two, that the believer should have both an intellectual and an experiential knowledge of what salvation really is. That the believer should be able to defend salvation. He should know it, both by the things that he reads and has read and the things that he has experienced in his life. And we talked about when Jesus first sent the disciples out and we used that as an example to explain those things. So today we're going to look at the last three points under the armor of God, starting with the shield of faith. Amen. So, in these times, there were two major types of shields that were used by the Roman legionaries. One was the scotum, and the other was the parma. So, the scotum was a large rectangular shield that they would usually hold in place in front of them. It was large and it was rectangular, sometimes oval. It was long enough to cover them from head to like their knee. And usually they were trained to use this shield so that they can be protected completely. If you look at some pictures of like battle formations, you would see some pictures in which they sort of congregate in such a way that they look like a turtle shell, where actually the shield covers everyone all around that no arrow, no attack can penetrate that formation or that shield. And they just huddled up together like that. It's something they practice for battle. The second type of shield is the parma. It's a smaller one. It's a circular one. And this is the one that they hold with one hand. And usually the people that used those ones were horseback riders, the ones who ride on horses because the scotum would be too heavy to carry on a horse. So they use that with one hand and they ride on the horse for balance. 
and um, those are the two major types of shields. Actually, technically, there are three, but one was changed to another. Now, specifically, the specific shield that Paul is talking about here is the scotum, the rectangular one. If you check the translation, that is what he's speaking about. He's speaking about that shield that is able to what? Hold and protect completely. And that is what he uses to describe faith. Amen. Now, this is the second time that we're speaking about faith in this teaching. The first time we spoke about faith, we spoke about faith when we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Because we talked about how how we can apply righteousness to our own lives is through what? Faith. Recognizing what Jesus has done through his love and accepting it by what? Faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. However, this specific application of faith is not about personal righteousness now. Application of faith is about provision and protection from God. Provision what? Protection from God. I think one of the things that I mentioned when I started speaking about the armor of God is the fact that there are a lot of Christians that the devil has succeeded in keeping comfortable. He has succeeded in keeping them what? Comfortable. Comfortable in the sense that they are not doing anything against the kingdom of the devil. As long as they are going about their normal routines, spiritual routines, the things see that to be um, spiritual practices, the devil is fine. They go to church, they come back home. They just maybe they even pay, the, but they do nothing more. They are just stuck in that routine. They are fine. Because what? They are comfortable. And one of the things that I said was, the minute that a child of God decides to start to actively pursue the needs and the goals of the kingdom of heaven, the day he decides that or she decides that and starts to act on it is the day spiritual warfare is automatically going to start. And the reason why is because you've now said that's what you want to fight him and he's ready. You. I want to give you a personal experience. There was a time when I was not really concerned. I was not really concerned about what I used my money for. And the ironic thing is, back then, it's not like I was making as much as I made like later in life, particularly even like in this period. But I wasn't concerned about what I used my money for. I just bought things that I wanted. You, I was just wasting money, <laughs> doing whatever I wanted with money that I had. And at that particular point in time, I never had to use my faith to believe in God to give me anything. I was comfortable. You might think it's weird, but it's not. It's true. The minute it became clear to me, some of these things, and I said to God that, Lord, this is what I'm going to be doing for you. This is how I'm going to be spending my life and my resources for you. That's the minute temptation of some other needs <laughs> that were unimportant to start creeping into your life. That's the minute that you start to experience some periods where you have to trust God for something. 
I have to believe God for something. It's not because God has left you. It's actually the opposite. It's because you're no more comfortable. You've woken up to some things. That I used to hear when I was younger. And and the proverb, I like it's like I can't remember where I heard it from. But the, the sentiment of the program, the proverb rather, is that the chicken that you own, right? You treat it well, you feed it well, because you know that one day you're the one that's going to kill it. <laughs> True or false? So you can see chicken, I mean, you can street and say, Lord, chickens, and you don't care about them, you don't touch them. You have not your business in life. Because you have, I mean, but the one that is in your pen, knowing that one, like December is coming now, some people have already bought their chickens for Christmas. And they feed them well because they know that one day they will be the ones to what? To kill them. And as much as this analogy applies to people, unfortunately, who do not know Jesus because they've not been free, the reality is there are Christians who positionally are free, but they have no awareness of the freedom they've received. And because they have no awareness of the freedom they've received, they are still in cages. Because they're living their lives like they are not yet free. Because Christianity is freedom to do something for God. The Bible says that what? Go and loosen the donkey so that I can what? I can make use of it. Jesus does not set any donkey free so the donkey can just be walking on the streets. Jesus will always set a donkey free so that he can make use of that donkey. So any Christian who has not yet gotten back to Jesus so that Jesus can ride him or her, it's as good as that Christian still being tied up. It's as good as him still being tied up. And that is what the devil wants. But you see, the minute that you go to Jesus and let him start to ride you, the minute that you start to dedicate your life to the propagation of the merits and the goals of the kingdom of God, from that day you start engaging in spiritual warfare. And that's when you will really start to understand what it means to use all these weapons we're talking about. That is use the shield of faith for your protection and for your what? For your provision. Because God has assured that what? Seek ye first his kingdom and what? All other things will be added unto you. And that is the application of this shield of faith. The application of the shield of faith essentially is using your faith to what? To access the protection and the provision that God has for you. Because you are doing his will. Because you are pursuing the things of what? His kingdom. I have, I have, um, I have a senior in, in uni who 
when I was in hundred level, he taught me in school of school of the word in. So he taught me in hundred level, and after my hundred level, he graduated. And today he is an evangelist, and he goes about doing village evangelism. And on his status, I'll just be seeing some of these challenges that he he goes through, like Kada was walking in Lagos, come and break down in the village. Problem that they did not have yesterday. Today, when they need that thing to work, it to just go off. These little, little, petty, petty things that you might think are not important, that people have to basically call upon their faith in God to what? Exercise authority on those things so that things can work. These are experiences that those who are basically pursuing the goals of the kingdom go through where they have to access and use this shield of faith against the wiles of the enemy. Because if you think the enemy is not going to try, he's going to try. One of the stories, Daddy has told us a lot of stories of things that happened to him on the missionary field. But one of the stories that make me laugh the most, because it's one of the most palpable ones that I remember, is when he said his boat got stuck in the middle of the sea. In the middle of the Atlantic in Syria alone. And essentially, it was a rickety boat. And he said that the, I remember clearly, he said that the driver of the boat had just one, one hand. The other one has been amputated. And it was a rickety boat. And the boat was moving. And they got to the middle of the sea. And the boat just stopped. And he said that his assistant, started to say, I didn't leave my family in Nigeria to come and die <laughs> in Syria alone. And immediately his assistant uttered that word. Daddy said the next thing he said was he told him to what? To shut up. Because that statement he made was not a statement of faith. And Daddy said the next thing he said was he started to speak to God the words that God had spoken to him. That you are the one that sent me here, and there's no way this is where this journey ends. And when you start to do that, you are acting in faith. That's the shield of what? Faith. For his protection. And he said when he got to the other side, he was told the story of a lot of people who, that's how their lives ended who were in boats that were better than the boats that he found. And these are the things that happen, not just to ministers, it happens to us everyday believers. It might just be in a different degree, which is why I was giving you some examples of finances. That is the day that you decide, oh, I want to start giving on to God's work, that they will not say they want to reduce your salary, or they will not pay you early, or something ridiculous like that. It's not an it's not an error. It's because previously, when you were not awake to that responsibility, you were comfortable. You were like the chicken that the devil is just feeding <laughs> to get fat. And when you come out and you realize that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, because I am a child of God and I should be committed to His own kingdom, you will find that you have to start using these weapons. That's just how it goes. That's the Christian experience. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. 
I give the, all the scriptures in this manual just deal with promises that have been made to us by God. The supporting scriptures here. Luke chapter 12 is a beautiful scripture about Jesus telling his disciples not to worry. And there are so many things he talks about there. He talks about how all the hairs on our head are numbered. And there's none that falls to the ground that he doesn't know about. Do you know how long I've been going to baptize my hair? Do you know what it means for God to say that there's no hair that has fallen from this head that he is not aware of since I was born? How much attention to detail do you have to pay to be able to know that? When he talks about how the breasts of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap. They don't go to the office, they don't make any salary. Yet God what? Feeds them. That tree outside, we're not the owner, we share it with some birds. The guava tree outside. Because whether you like it or not, there are some your hand cannot reach. It's for them. Carry the longest stick, you won't still reach it. God didn't make it for you. Just accept, take your own and be happy. It's for them because he has said it in his word already. Does this day, the day we were going out for baptism, and I think I've given this example before. They were going out for baptism. Um, Bela, he dropped his cake because he didn't finish his cake and we ate cake that day. So he dropped his cake at the window here. And the next morning, I remember that I was, I was just, I was praying and I was just walking. I was praying that morning. And that morning I was thinking about some things. I was beginning to, in quote, worry about some things. And God just directed my attention to this cake. And I saw the bird. Just came and just picked it <laughs> and just went away. And when I was moving closer, it would fly away again. Then it would come back, pick a small bite and go. At some point, I moved too close and the thing fell on the ground. And two of them now started picking one by one. The, at this point, they were not eating, they were saving. Because essentially, the first time I saw you eat, you see it eat and swallow. The next two, three times it came, it just remained in his beak and he flew away with it. It didn't swallow. God has taken care of them for <laughs> that day. And they don't have to do anything again. And I just remember that scripture. And I was just laughing to myself. So Billy, what are you worrying about? Because what did Jesus say? He says, are you no more precious than what? Than these birds. Things. These are the promises. These are the things that when the devil tries to shoot us with arrows, to affect us when he puts us in some situations, we hold up this shield of faith and rebuff his arrows because this is what God is saying about what? About you, about me. Amen. We'll move to the next one now, which is the helmet of salvation. So the Roman legionnaires, they knew that essentially the most dangerous thing that could happen to any soldier was damage to the head. Everything else is salvageable to even a small extent, depending on what the injury is, you can still do something about the heart. But you see, if anything happens to the brain, if anything happens to what? To the brain. It's usually difficult to do anything about it. Even if that person survives, the person's life will probably never be the same after because something has affected his cognitive what? reasoning and the legionnaires knew that so it's only a foolish soldier that would go to the battlefield and what 
and not put on his helmet. And essentially what the application for us is as Christians is that in the same way that the battlefield is the mind of man, right? God is also concerned about your own mind and what flows in and out of it. God is concerned about your thoughts and he has a responsibility and us as soldiers of Christ have a responsibility to protect our minds and our thoughts, our thought life, even as we go about what? Doing the will of God. Do not let anyone deceive you into believing that because you are a Christian, the devil is not going to attempt to bring things like doubt or depression or frustration or discouragement or strive for any of these things into your heart. He's going to try. It's his walk. He's committed to doing that to the mind of everybody, particularly you that is trying to walk against him. But God has given us a weapon to protect ourselves, to protect our minds, to protect our thoughts. Now, the question is, is it automatic that everybody that has salvation has the helmet of salvation? Is it automatic? The answer is no. Because if it was an automatic thing, then Paul will not be telling them to put it on. He was writing to believers. He will not be telling them to put it on. It's the same way he told them to put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? And yet, they were righteous because they had received Jesus. So essentially, the act of putting it on is coming to an awareness of what it actually is and living in accordance to that knowledge that you received. So essentially, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, like we explained before, is what? Is accepting the love of Christ through faith and accepting that through that love that Jesus used to shed that blood for you, you are now like Jesus. You are righteous before God. And for us to know exactly what the helmet of salvation is, we have to go to that same parallel scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Because 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 is where Paul actually repeats this, but he says it differently. So he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation is specifically what the hope of salvation. You see, the thing is this. Faith protects our heart. Hope protects our minds, our thoughts. In that hope for the future, having our hope rest on Jesus, not just for your future on this earth, but that hope that after this earth, you and him are going to be together, that assurance that he has given unto you, that you will not leave this world and go to perdition, but you will leave this world and spend 
the entirety of what is left of your life, which is everlasting, with him in his bosom, in his care, with his love, in his kingdom, that hope must not leave the mind of any Christian. Because without hope, there really isn't salvation. And I've said it here before, that that's the problem with how we define salvation today. How can you talk about salvation and speak about what is to come and what God is going to accomplish here with us? I want us to read some scriptures. I want to read first from Romans chapter 8. And I'll read from verse 24 to 28. And the Bible says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we do not see, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. What is all of this resting on? Hope. So in Christianity, hope is not a fickle thing. Hope is not something that we just say, well, I hope it rains tomorrow. We're just using it like we use it in English language. We're just using it in a sentence. It's more than that. It's resting on something that is sure. And that's what makes hope what it is. And hope is what protects our thought life. Hope is what kicks the doubt away. Knowing fully well that there's nothing the devil can do about you spending your eternity with Jesus. That the devil cannot campaign against you. You can't. The devil is powerless in your case because you are with Jesus. You are found inside him. That ultimately, no matter what the temporary situation looks like, there's nothing the devil can actually do to you. Because who is the real you? You is inside. And that's why at the point Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was saying, Fear not who can what? Kill, destroy the body. Fear who can destroy soul and spirit. Because essentially, like, at that time, obviously, they had not been saved. But what he was telling them was, If your soul and spirit is secure in me and secure in God, then who do you have to fear? Who will you come before? And that's when he was talking about them being able to speak about him what, wherever they go. That's when he was talking to them about when they arrest you and bring you before synagogues, I'll put the words in your mouth, I'll tell you what to say. It was in that conversation he told them, fear not who can destroy the body. What he was telling them is, no matter what happens to you, whether you live a hundred years or you live 25 years or you die tomorrow or you live 120 years, you have hope. And a hope that stands sure that all things work together for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And that 
when we truly embrace that and understand it, it will kick a lot of things away from our minds. It will. What does it profit a man to actually gain the world and lose his soul? It's a deep statement. This is a question that was asked, but it's very deep. Some people leave this world with absolutely nothing. And they get over there and they have everything. While some leave this world and leave everything that they had behind, and they go into nothing. So what was the point, actually? What really matters? That is the point of this helmet. That is what it means to have a helmet of salvation. Knowing that irrespective of what the situation is, that your mind is protected, that the devil cannot do anything to discourage you ever. Because you have Jesus, and having Jesus is everything. Amen. And finally, before we go, I want to speak about the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is very unique because it's the only element of this armor that is more offensive than defensive, right? You can use a sword to defend yourself, you can. But ultimately, a sword is used to deal attacks. That's what a sword is used for. And he says the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Ephesians 6 is not the only place in Scripture that talks about the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. In Hebrews 4.11, which we have in our manual, the Bible says that what? For the word of God is sharper than what? Any two-edged sword able to what? Divide soul and spirit. I want us to open to Revelation 1.16. Because I want to hear Jesus speaking. I want us to see Jesus um, speaking for himself. No, no, no. Not 1.16. 2.16. When he was talking about it, talking to the churches. Although 1.16 also has something. But Revelation 2.16 says what? Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the what? With the sword of my mouth. Revelations 1.16 says, And in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun, shineth his strength. This was when John first encountered who? Jesus. So that's not the only scripture that has the word of God being described as what? As a sword, particularly a double-edged sword. You find it across scripture. It's even in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4, you would find it there as well. There are two important things to note about this particular element of this armor. And after this, we will pray and close. The first thing to note is this, is that when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, and he says the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, that word there, the Greek for the word of God, is the word called rema. And the rema represents the spoken word of God. What this means is that it's not the word of God that you read that defeats the devil. It is the word of God that you say. This is the most important thing about the word that Christians miss. You see, you can study your Bible 
And it's great to study your Bible. I study my Bible. You can read your Bible. You can have, some people have, I finished the Bible in one year calendar. All of that is awesome and good stuff. But the reality is, if you are faced with a life situation, and somebody knows three verses of the Bible, and you have read the entire Bible, and you are faced with a life situation, and that person, those three verses that he knows, he speaks those three verses, or whatever verse he knows that applies to that situation, to that situation, you memorize the entire Bible. If you don't say it, if you do not say it, it doesn't work for you. It's the word of God that you say that you can use to what? To defeat the devil. It's the spoken word. It's always the spoken word. It's always the spoken word. The reason why we want to know it is so that we can say it. It's not to know it for the sake of putting it in our heads. The application is that when life confronts you with a situation, that you can hit that situation back with what the Word of God says about the situation. So when the devil whispers in your ear that you are going to die, you will say, I shall not die, but live to declare the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. You will not, don't think it. Say it. So when you are going through a period of lack and your devil is saying, man, no money is coming from anywhere, nothing can happen. You say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Don't think it. Say it. That's how you quiet his voice. If not, he will just keep tormenting your mind. And you'll be saying, ah, God. But it's not in the hand of God. It's in your mouth. Amen. And that's the important thing about this weapon. That's why it's offensive. That's the first key thing to note. The second thing to note is that it is the sword of what? The Spirit. And it must be used in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. The reason I'm saying this is because there are people that try to bamboozle God. And they say, okay, to, it's just to say it, bar. And they try to apply scriptures to things that don't apply to it. I have a classmate, very hilarious guy. That every single time he's talking about money or financial issues, he quotes one verse of scripture. He has quoted it three times in my presence. And anytime he quotes it, I always laugh. He says, Jesus even said, the poor you shall always have among you. He now adds his own, but I don't have to be one of them. <laughs> he has got it like three of them, three times. Say, so the poor you shall always have among you. Jesus did not say, but you don't have to be one of them. That's his own addition. Because Jesus was speaking about himself. This was when Judas was like, when the alabaster was broken, and he, um, she was washing his feet with her tears and oil and all that. And Judas wanting to, that's where John let us know that Judas was a thief. Because John said, Judas talked about what? Um, selling the, the oil and feeding the poor. But John wrote, 
but he did not want to truly feed the poor for he was a thief when he was taken from the poor. It was John that actually let us know that. And that's when Jesus said, what the poor, what you will always have among you, I, I will not always be here. She's doing this for my, for my burial. And everywhere this gospel is preached, she will be mentioned. And we're still talking about her even right now. And he takes that scripture out of its context. <laughs> and he says it to me. He says, we say it sometimes when we're going to school or we're coming back. I said it like twice or thrice now. And he always makes me laugh. That's not how to use the sword of the Spirit. And that might be a funny example, but there are a lot of people that will carry this Bible and find what is convenient for them. They will say, is it not to confess? And they start to what? <laughs> they start to confess a lot of things without being in sync with what? With God's Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's not a cheat code. A lot of people are looking for formula. And they tend to treat the Bible like what? Like formula. They're trying to plot the graph of their success. And the verses they always quote, it's not verse about repentance. It's usually verse about money and provision. (laughs) So, that's not how to use the sword. Amen. So that, those are the two most important things I want to speak about. It's valuable. It's the offensive weapon that we have. And we need to take it to the devil at all times. Not by thinking it in our minds, but by speaking it out. By confessing it. By confessing to every situation that we find ourselves. By making sure that we don't let the devil ridicule us. We don't let the devil do something to our faith or affect our Christianity. The devil is interesting in that the devil knows you know something, but he still wants to test whether you know it. That's essentially 80 or 90% of his temptation. You think the devil doesn't know that Jesus knows the word of God and Jesus is the son of God. He knows. He might not know how Jesus is going to save the world. He might not know the plan, but he knows the identity of the one. So he came and was testing him. And Jesus was replying him with the word of God, and you still bring another one. The devil knows. The devil doesn't care whether you know that um, by his stripes you were healed. He wants to know that whether you know that you're supposed to say it to him. But as long as you don't say it to him, he knows that you can't defeat him. So as long as you don't take that word to him in that situation and say, my God shall supply all my needs according to Jesus in Christ Jesus. As long as you don't take it to him and say what? That by his stripes I was healed. As long as you don't take it to him and tell him I shall not die but live to declare the glory of God in the land of the living. If you don't open your mouth and take it to him, then you might as well not know the scripture. Because it's the spoken word that has power. It's the spoken word that is the sword. It's the spoken word that Jesus used to defeat Satan. And it's the spoken word that we would also use to what? To defeat Satan. But secondly, it is used in cooperation with God's Holy Spirit. It's not a cheat code. It's not a formula. It's not for us to get what we want. It's what God has used to help us to defend ourselves. Amen. 
We're almost at the end of this teaching. We have about two more lessons to go. And in those two lessons, we're going to be examining what I might call the unprotected area, because there are other things that Paul actually mentions in this verse that we need to speak about. And essentially, if you look at it, every single thing that we've mentioned about the armor, we've not really looked at the back. We've not looked at what covers what the back. So we need to deal with some other things that are mentioned in scripture that God has also given to us as what? As weapons. The Bible says what? They overcame him by what? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. It's a weapon of our warfare. But you need to know what this testimony is. Is it, I bought a new car? Is it, you know, I have a new job? Is that what we mean? Is that what Jesus means? Is that what the Bible means? Or is there a specific testimony that we're speaking about here? What's the power of the blood of Jesus? And how can we use the blood of Jesus for us today? Because it's a weapon that God has given us. Amen. So those are some of the other things that we're going to be discussing as we end this um, topic. And I pray that God will help us in Jesus' name. Can we rise up?